0: Welcome to Tanakhstudy.com, this is Neima Novetsky, and today we'll begin Parashat Kedoshim, exploring the concept of Kidusha, Holiness, both as it is presented in the parasha and as it is understood by various commentators and Jewish thinkers. Let's begin, though, with an overview of Chapter 19, which opens the Parashah. Our chapter covers multiple and varied laws. In fact, according to the Sefer HaChinuch, this one chapter contains 48 distinct mitzvot. There are laws that relate to care of the less fortunate, those that relate to justice in court, and those that deal with honesty and business dealings. In addition to these interpersonal laws though, there are also laws governing man's relationship with God. Laws relating to sacrifices, idolatry, and divination. The logic behind the ordering of the laws though is not so easy to understand for the chapter appears to jump from one topic to another and back again without rhyme or reason. For example, rather than grouping all the laws dealing with the unfortunate in one place and listing them consecutively, these laws are interspersed throughout the chapter. The poor are mentioned in verse nine, the blind in verse 14, and foreigners in verses 33 and 34. Thus, the thread that connects one verse to another is not at all obvious. There is, though, one clue which might help the reader. Throughout the chapter, there are two phrases, or perhaps two variations of one phrase, which repeat 16 times. The refrain, Ani Hashem Elokechem" appears eight times, and the shorter version, Ani Hashem, appears another eight times. Rav Zvi Hoffman suggests that these repetitions are the key to the structure of the chapter. He points out that they divide the chapter into three main units. In the first unit, verses 2 to 4, there are, th- th- there are three sets of laws, each of which ends with Ani Hashem Elokeicham. In the second unit, verses 9 through 18, there are five sets of laws, four of which would end with Ani Hashem and one with Ani Hashem Elokeicham. And finally, in the third section, verses 23 to 26, there are seven sets of laws which to some extent alternate between the two variations of the refrain. Finally, the chapter's concluding verse also ends by stating, Ani Hashem. In between and separating each of these three sections, Rav David T. Hafman points out that there is a set of laws which have no special ending, as they do not close with either Ani Hashem or Ani Hashem Elokeichem. Thus, the chapter has a 357 structure, a structure seen elsewhere in Tanakh as well. For example, as Rav David Tzvi Hoffman points out, Birkat Kohanim is built on the same formula. The first blessing has three words, Yivarechacha Hashem The next has five words, Ya'er Hashem panav Elacha v'yichuneka. And the last blessing has seven, Yisa Hashem panav Elacha shalom. According to Rav David Tzvi Hoffman, the first unit of the chapter serves as an introduction. And it more or less reiterates the first tablet of the Ten Commandments, but in reverse order. It speaks of honoring parents, keeping Shabbat, not following false gods, and ends with the first of the Ten Commandments, Ani Hashem. Rav Hoffman explains that when relaying the Decalogue, the order was fundamental, moving from fear of heaven down to fear of parents, Hashem's partners in bringing life. On a fundamental level, fear of God must always precede fear of parents. By us though, the order is reversed because the chapter is trying to educate towards belief. A person naturally fears humans whom they can see and interact with more than he fears Hashem who is not concretely present in the same manner. Hashem thus says, start by fearing and obeying your parents and this will teach you to learn to fear God as well. The second section of the chapter contains Mishpatim, laws between man and his fellow man including the command to leave aside produce for the poor, and prohibitions against stealing, slandering, lying, or deceiving the blind. The final words of the unit serve as an effective summary for the section, kamocha ani Hashem, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am God. Finally, the last section contains Chukim, defined by Rav David Hoffman as laws which relate to oneself, nature, or God. Thus, the section begins with the laws of Urla, not eating of the fruit of one's tree in its first three years, continue with the laws against divination and sorcery, and proceed to the prohibition of turning one's daughter into a prostitute. Thus, according to Rav David Zvi Hoffman, a chapter constitutes an introductory section followed by a unit which deals with Mishpatim and a second unit which deals with Chukim. Separating each section are a few tangential laws. Unfortunately for the niche structure laid out by Rav Davidsby Hoffman, however, the third section he mentioned does not only contain Chukim. The last couple of verses of the unit readdress the interpersonal sphere, moving from Chukim back to Mishpatim, as they speak of honoring the elderly, caring for the foreigner, and being honest in business dealings. Rav Hoffman tries to explain the presence of the exceptional verses, noting that the text gives a reason for these commands. It says that we should keep these mitzvot because we had been slaves in Egypt, but that in Hashem's mercy, he redeemed us from there. As such, Rav Hoffman suggests, these laws are not being obligated purely because of their utility to the other, but because of our relationship with Hashem, turning them also into a sort of chok. This, though, is not a particularly convincing argument, especially as the very mention of our own enslavement suggests that we are being asked to empathize with the other. And interpersonal relationship. a second weakness in the suggested structure is that, the, that is that it does not adequately explain why one specific law flows into the next, nor does it really address the laws found in between each main section nonetheless nonetheless, Rav Hoffman provides food for thought and he goes beyond most other commentators who similarly struggle to make sense of the parashah's ordering in fact. After noting the difficulty in finding an adequate explanation of the parasha's ordering, Nahama Leibowitz suggests that perhaps the lack of an obvious clear ordering and categorization is intentional, lest we say that whichever category precedes the next must be more important. By going back and forth between the various categories of mitzvot, Hashem announces they are all equal in importance. No one mitzvah trumps another. Before moving into our opening verses, I want to address one other question related to the chapter structure, or more specifically, to the refrain that repeats throughout, Ani Hashem Elokeichem, I am the Lord, your God. Rav Hoffman focused on these words mainly in their role as a literary tool, but the continuous repetition of the phrase begs the question, why do so many of the mitzvot of our chapter specifically end with this statement? Rav Hirsch suggests that the nature of many of the laws in our chapter is that they are done in private. Many are mitzvot hanefesh and take place in the heart. And as such, another human might never be aware if one transgresses them. In addition, they are not the type of sins for which one would be held accountable in human courts. If you don't treat the elderly with respect, if you gossip or you hate another in your heart, no one is going to bring you to be judged. As such, Hashem makes sure to remind each individual that whether or not the act is known to humans, ani Hashem, it will be known to me. Hashem sees all, even what takes place only in one's mind. Abarbanel offers a different explanation. Since our chapter has so many laws which might seem self-evident, laws that human reason might have dictated on its own, Hashem reminds the people, that it is not because of the logic behind the mitzvot that one should keep them, but only because Hashem commanded them. We should be keeping mitzvot ki ani Hashem, because I said so, not because they happened to make sense us. It's worth noting that the phrases ani Hashem and ani Hashem Elokeichem, though extremely prevalent in our chapter, are not unique to here, and they actually run throughout the second half of Sefer Vayikra. In fact, Three quarters of all of their appearances in Torah are in Vayikwa chapter 17 to the end, suggesting that perhaps the phrase is somehow related to all the laws of holiness which form the subject of this part of the book. As we study different conceptions of holiness as we continue, we'll return to this idea and see how the terms might pertain to holiness specifically. With that introduction, let's move into the opening verses of our chapter, Pasuk Aleph. HaShem commands Moshe to speak to the entire congregation of Israel, telling them to be holy, for I am holy. If one compares this opening to similar ones throughout Sefer Vayikra, one immediately notices that it is unique. In other chapters, when Moshe is told to speak to the nation, Hashem says, Daber el Bnei Yisrael, speak to Israel, not Daber el Kol Adat Bnei Yisrael, not speak to the entire congregation of Israel. In fact, as Rav Hirsch notes, the language of Daber el Kol Adat Israel comes up only in one other place in Torah, by the first commandment ever given to the nation, the commandment to bring the Korban Pesach. Which of course makes us wonder, what is so special about our parasha that it too is said in such a public setting. This question is already asked by the Sifra, the Midrash Halakha on Sefer Vayikra, who notes the unique address and writes, This teaches that the parasha was said in public. And why was it said in public? Because most of the fundamentals of Torah depend on it. The Sifrat does not elaborate further, but Rabbi Levi and Vayikra Rabba, another midrash, explains what is is meant by the idea that the fundamentals of Torah depend upon it. He says, Rabbi Levi explains that in the list of mitzvot of Parashat Kedoshim, one can find allusions to each of the ten commandments. He then proceeds to list all ten of the verses in the unit which parallel the Decalogue. We already noted allusions to four of the first five. The others are mostly obvious. Verse 12 warns against swearing in Hashem's name, paralleling the command not to take Hashem's name in vain. Verse 16 warns against standing idly by the blood of your neighbor, recalling, lo terzach, do not murder. Chapter 20 verse 10 speaks of adultery and 1911 of stealing. Only the prohibitions against false testimony and coveting have no explicit parallel though one might make a case that the chapter's prohibition against lying and the obligation to love one's fellow are somewhat equivalent and effectively parallel to the overall intent of these commandments, if not the exact action mentioned. It's not clear, though, what is the significance of the fact that the mitzvot of the Decalogue are embedded within our unit? Why specifically here are the Ten Commandments reiterated? We'll come back to this question in a couple of minutes when we discuss the concept of holiness. So let's go back to the second half of the verse. The bearer, Kidoshim tiyu ki kadosh ani Hashem, Hashem tells the nation to be holy because I am the Lord your because I, the Lord your God, am holy. What though does it mean to be holy? In what ways is Hashem holy? How are we meant to imitate him? We'll explore three to four different understandings of the commandment, but almost everyone agrees on at least one point that the concept of Kiddushah relates to separation. To be mekadesh something means to set it apart. Thus, Rashi on our verse writes, withdraw or separate yourself from forbidden sexual relations. Wherever you find in the Torah, a command to fence yourself in against such relations, you also find mention of holiness. Rashi then brings several proof texts to prove his point, pointing out that many verses appear to connect proper sexual behavior with being kadosh. For example, by the list of women prohibited to a kohen, the verse concludes, Ki kadosh ani Hashem According to Rashi then, the command kadoshim to you, to be holy, is not an overarching command relating to all spheres of life, but a very specific one relating to but one realm, sexual relations. As such, the verse is not connected to what follows, the various laws listed in our chapter, but rather to what preceded it, the laws of chapter 18, which focus solely on improper sexual acts. Ramban disagrees. After quoting Rashi, he writes, In the Midrash Halachana verse, I saw only, you shall separate yourselves. Ramban points out that the Midrash Halacha that serves as a source for Rashi's words does not specify what one should separate themselves from and does not limit our verse to the realm of sexual activity, perhaps implying that the verse is mandating a more general type of separation. Ramban thus, thus suggests that the verses are teaching us, prushim min We should separate even from that which is permitted. Lest, Yeeyeh Naval lest one becomes sordid within the Torah's permissibility. Ramban explains that in all realms of life, the, pro- the Torah prohibits certain things but permits others. For example, certain sexual acts or types of foods are off limits, but others are not. This allows for the possibility that a person who lusts after food or sex might still gluttonously pursue his desires within what is permitted despite the problematic nature of such behavior. Thus, our verse comes to warn that even in realms which are permitted, one should set limits. As Chazal say in Masachat Yivamot, kadesh atzmacha Bamutarlacha, lacha, sanctify yourself through that which is permitted. According to this, though Ramban himself does not say, say so explicitly, one might suggest that the definition of Kidusha, or at least the path to it, is self-control, learning to set, li- to set limits in all areas of life. To be kadosh means to be disciplined and to have restraint. Rav Hirsch elaborates on the point. He asserts that the commandment to be holy mandates that one aspire to achieve the highest level of human ethical perfection. This means always striving to do good and ensuring that the tendency to evil has no part in one's being. How does one accomplish this? He writes, holiness is acquired by our control over all of man's powers and abilities and all the temptations connected to them. Rav Yonatan Ay-Bishet also picks up on the concept of Kadesh atzmacha Bamutarlecha, sanctify yourself with that which is permitted, but note the potential problem which a misunderstanding of the concept might cause. The possibility that someone might go overboard in the limits that they set on themselves, closing themselves off from the world like a monk in an effort to distance themselves from overindulging and the like. He makes us ask, should there not also be a limit to setting limits? Obviously, one should not be a glutton, but how far to the other extreme should one go? A hedonistic lifestyle filled even with permitted sex is problematic. But does the Torah really prefer a life of total abstinence? If one decides to withdraw from the world and secludes oneself, is that a positive or a negative thing? Rav Iveshitz explains that extreme abstinence is not desired. Yafet Torah im derech Eretz. The Torah is meant to be part of the world. Yes, set limits, but limits that are within the realm of normal. A good barometer is to ask whether society as a whole would be able to live up to them. If not, maybe one is being too extreme. He suggests that when Chazal say, Parashah zon emrab this is what they mean. Set limits that the kahal, that the congregation as a whole, can abide by. The Khatam Sofer explains similarly, saying that Hashem tells us to be kadosh, but to remain in this world, b'hakal, as part of the kahal. Kiddushah, withdrawing, does not mean living a life of solitude away from the world. In fact, if one looks at the list of mitzvot of our parasha, the vast majority of them are societal in nature. Being kadosh requires engaging in society. Yes, one must withdraw from overindulgences, set limits, have self-control, but do so while still engage with the world. A third understanding of kedushah maintains the definition of separation but takes it in another direction. It's possible that what Hashem is mandating is that we separate not from what is permitted within our culture, but from what is permitted in surrounding cultures, that we distinguish ourselves from the negative influences of our neighbors. The context of our chapter might support such a definition as it is sandwiched between two chapters which explicitly speak of separating from surrounding cultures. As we saw in our shiurim on chapter 18, that chapter is book by warnings not to follow the customs of the Canaanites and the Egyptians. Chapter 20 similarly warns, Don't follow the customs of those whom I am about to chase out from before you, i.e. the Canaanites. Moreover, it ends with the declaration, This verse reiterates the opening command of our chapter, be holy for I am holy, but it adds, and I have separated you from the nations to be mine. The very first time that Hashem speaks of the holiness of the nation, the context is similar. In Shemot 19 at Ma'amad Harsinai, right before receiving the Decalogue, Hashem tells us, and you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These words follow Hashem's promise, If you heed my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be an Am Skula, treasured from all the nations. Here too, holiness is intrinsically connected to being distinguished and separate from other nations. Moreover, Hashem tells us exactly how to do that. If you heed my voice and keep my covenant. If so, the inclusion of the Ten Commandments in our chapter might now be understood. Being kadosh, being holy, means adhering to Hashem's covenant. That covenant was first made at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai, and was concretized through the giving of Tabrit, the tablets of the covenant, containing the stipulations of that treaty, the Ten Commandments. Thus, in our chapter, when mandating the nation's holiness, Hashem once again tells the nation how to achieve this. We must act differently from surrounding societies, not only by abstaining from following their customs, but also by actively following Hashem's laws and keeping His covenant as expressed through the Decalogue. If we delve into the significance of the Decalogue, we can maybe take this idea one step further. Many question, what is unique about the 10 statements that these specifically were chosen to be said at Har Sinai? Are they a top 10 list? a list of what Hashem considers the most important mitzvot? Or is the Decalogue instead simply the fundamentals from which everything else stems? Rav Sadegon takes the second possibility and suggests that within the Decalogue are included all 613 commandments. According to him, the commandments in the Decalogue should be viewed as categories of commandments. Shabbat represents all of the moadim and holidays. Vot do not kill encompasses all laws relating to harming another's body, while lo tignov, do not steal, encompasses all those relating to respecting others' property. If so, when we saw earlier that the Sifra says that our chapter was said in public because Rov Torah because most of the fundamentals of Torah depend upon it, it might be referring to this very idea. Our chapter, by including the Decalogue, touches on all of the 613 commandments. According to this reading then, in the opening verse of our chapter, Hashem commands the nation to be holy, and then He proceeds to tell us how, by keeping all of His Torah, all 613 commandments which are encompassed in the Aseret hadibrot in the Decalogue. This is in fact how the Rambam, in a Sefer HaMitzvot explains the command Kedoshim to you. He asks whether or not the words Kedoshim to you should count as an individual mitzvah and concludes that it is not one mitzvah, but rather a general admonition to keep all of the mitzvot. The verses Kedoshim to you and the similar verse V'Kadishem B'Item Kedoshim, he tells us, are commands to observe the entire Torah, as if Hashem is saying, Be holy by doing all that I command you. In light of all this, we might suggest that holiness means separation in the sense of distinguishing ourselves from other nations. And what is it that distinguishes us? Observance of the Torah and its mitzvot and its laws. To summarize the various approaches to the mitzvah of kiddoshim to you that we have seen so far, Rashi connects the opening words of our chapter to the previous one, suggesting that the command to be holy relates to one specific realm of life, separating from prohibited sexual relations. On the other end of the spectrum, the Rambam maintains that the verse is an overarching command and refers not to one specific realm, but to keeping all of the mitzvot. We developed the idea suggesting that Hashem commands us to separate from surrounding cultures by instead keeping His covenant. Ramban agrees that the mitzvah is general in nature, but suggests that the mitzvah refers to all areas of life not mandated by Torah. The need to recognize that we must adhere to the spirit of the law, in addition to the letter of the law, and not to overindulge in that which is permitted. This approach focuses on self-restraint as a path to holiness. As we move into the last couple of words of our verse, we'll raise one more approach, which is to some extent a variation on the Rambam. Our verse ends, Kiddoshim Tiyu Ki Kadosh Ani. Hashem does not just mandate kidusha, but adds, Ki Kadosh Ani, because be holy, because I am holy. What do these words mean? The Sifrana verse suggests, This teaches, if you sanctify yourselves, it will be as if you sanctified me. According to the Midrash, Ki does not mean because I am holy, but then I will be holy. It is not Hashem's kiddushat which enables us to become Kadosh, but the opposite. If we are Kadosh, then Hashem becomes Kadosh. This, of course, relates to the larger concept of what is commonly referred to as making a Kiddush Hashem. As a kingdom of priests, we represent Hashem in all our actions. And so observance of Hashem's laws serves to sanctify not just us, but Hashem as well. Sforno raises a different idea suggesting that when Hashem says be holy because I am holy, He's saying that we should strive to be like Hashem. Hashem gives us, gave us the laws which relate to Kedusha, so that we might be similar to our Creator. Sforno alludes to the concept known as imitatio dei, that we should strive to imitate Hashem in all we do. Be kadosh because I am kadosh. Earlier, we pointed to the refrain that runs throughout our chapter. How so many of the mitzvot of our chapter end with the declaration, Kiani Hashem. In light of Sforno's words, we might suggest that this is Hashem's way of saying, Be like me. Keep X or Y mitzvah because that is who I am and what I do too. Give to the poor because I am giving. Be honest and true in all your interactions because I am honest and true. Love your neighbor because I am. Also loving. Perhaps then, one might suggest that at its essence, Kidusha means striving to be godlike. God is separate and distinct from all, and He mandates that we too be distinct, separating ourselves from the ways of surrounding cultures to instead follow the Torah's laws, laws which help us get as close to Hashem as possible and to be as similar to Hashem as possible. Hashem's laws sparked the Tselem Elokim within each of us. Touching the divinity within and bringing it out to all. Kidoshim Tiyu, Kikadosh Ani. Emir Tahashem, in our next year, we will begin exploring the individual laws of the chapter, starting with the obligation to fear one's parents.